Welcome to the Ferris Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking again with licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinderer. Welcome, Doug. Hey, Katie. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We're excited to have you back and to discuss this week's topic. So we wanted to dive into discussing with you, how do you know when your marriage needs a therapist? That's a really good question. I, you know, I, I guess the easy answer would be all marriages need a therapist, but uh, more on that later. I think I think there's four indicators that it would be a good idea to get some professional help. I think one is you're unable to resolve your conflicts. Two is you're growing increasingly emotionally distant. Uh, three, you find yourself thinking more about the problems than the joys in your marriage. And four, maybe something big has happened that you just can't get past. So let's uh, let's start with number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have conf- when you have conflicts that you can't resolve, sure. So, I mean, all marriages have conflicts. You cannot avoid conflicts in your marriage because we're just too, you know, defective. A, we're born with original sin, so we come into the world with defects. And along the way, we pick up a few other defects like, you know, pride and selfishness and anger, or we develop a critical spirit, et cetera. So we, we, we kind of gain in defects as we go through life. And then we have differences in personality and temperament that can cause conflicts between a husband and a wife. And then, of course, not to be underestimated is the effect of Satan. And, you know, he hates marriage uh, and he, he does everything he can do to try to drive a wedge between a husband and wife, which is why I think this the shrine to Ferris love is such a powerful uh, spiritual boost for, for married couples. So, you know, the research out there um, that done by John Gottman says that 69% of all conflicts that couples have are not solvable. They will be with you for your entire marriage, which means 31% though are solvable. And so how do you know these conflicts if they're part of the 39 or part of the 69%? And well, because then you try to resolve them and if you can't, you get some help and, but this 69 are 69% are things you're going to have to learn to live with and accept and, and try to sanctify that. And I think there's some very specific things we can do to sanctify those uh, conflicts that we can't, um, that we can't resolve. So I, I, I think within conflicts, there's four things we can talk about. And um, uh, are there, there, there are there four ways that conflicts become very detrimental in a marriage. And the first, the, the first warning sign is that, your arguments tend to end without a resolution. Hmm, okay. You talk about it, you talk about it, you get upset about it, whatever. And then the conversation just stops and you go your way and your spouse goes his or her way and nothing ever gets resolved. And obviously, if we can't resolve it, it's not going to go away and we can't move forward. So if you find yourself in situations where your, your conflicts, your arguments just don't ever get resolved, Good, good time to go get some professional help to help you figure mm-hmm. that out. Okay. I think the second yeah. one is conflicts are becoming increasingly emotional. Mm. Mm-hmm. So my frustration is building. That shows up in anger or in sarcasm. That shows up in, you know, maybe some harsh words, maybe some name calling, et cetera. Because, and this is just about frustration. And I'm so frustrated that, you know, anger tends to take over. And then we get into 
uh, a win-lose kind of situation where I'm going to prove my point to you and I'm going to win the argument. Well, whenever you find yourself getting into a win-lose argument with your spouse, you always end up with two losers. Because even if you win, you've won by crushing your spouse. You know, and where's the victory in that, right? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. You know, it's not like you've defeated an enemy. You've defeated a lover, the person who you love most in the world. And so when you when the arguments, though, tend to devolve into winner winners and losers, good time to get some professional help. Okay. Uh, the third way I think that conflict shows up is when uh, one of you just shuts down and the other one keeps going. Oh, and about 70% of marriages fall into this withdraw, pursue scenario or pattern. And the withdrawer, the argument is just too painful. And I don't know what to do with it. I become flooded. I become overwhelmed. And the only way I can protect myself, the only way I can eliminate the pain is to just shut down and walk away. And so I either just go numb or I physically leave and I go to the basement or the garage or I go turn on the TV or I you know, take the dog for a walk because I just have to shut down. It's too painful. Well, what happens is when I shut down, that leaves my spouse feeling abandoned or disrespected or, or lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's painful. And so then my spouse's tendency is to want to pursue, to, to re-engage me in the conversation. But oftentimes that happens with uh, with anger or, or strong emotion, which then uh, escalates my pain, which then gets me to want to shut down even more. And then you protest my shutting down more, which once you know, and I, so that's the spiral, right? Protest and shut down, pursue and withdraw. And if you find yourself in a situation where this is what's going on a lot, you need some professional help, I think, to get out of that pattern. And then finally, you, you find yourself uh, in a situation where you need to, you, you're always, feels like you're always on the defensive. Feels like you're being criticized a lot. Your spouse is pointing out your flaws or whatever, and you find you're constantly trying to defend yourself. Now, defensiveness is a, is a protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's the way that I try to prove to you that I'm lovable. And I'm going to defend myself so that you know I'm not a bad person. I'm okay. lovable and you should love me more. It protects me from feeling disrespected or feeling like a failure. Um, but it, it, it generally doesn't work. The more I defend myself, the more irritated your spouse becomes. Um, and, you know, and so you get into this thing where the criticism keeps going. I had a couple I was working with uh, not too long ago and, and um you know, and the husband was saying how he shuts down whenever he feels criticized. And his wife responded by saying, well, if you didn't keep screwing up, I wouldn't criticize. Well, then he shut down for the rest of the session. Sure. Right? He felt very, very damaged and, and very attacked. So um, so if you find you're in the situation where you got a pursuer and a withdrawer, good time to get some professional help. So that's conflict. Uh, and Here's, here's the fact of the matter of conflict. It's not conflict that harms marriages. Mm-hmm. It's conflict avoidance. Okay. You, you can't avoid conflict, so you have to manage it. And in fact, conflict is really valuable mm-hmm. because it, it gives me an insight into my spouse, into what's important, into what they value. Mm-hmm. 
and into their pain, into what hurts them and what their sensitivities are. So conflict is really valuable data on how to build a good marriage. Problem is we tend to avoid it because we don't know uh, how to handle it, what to do with it. And when I work with couples, we spend a lot of time looking at positive and constructive ways to address conflict in ways that are emotionally safe. Uh, and these are things that a professional therapist can help you do. Sure. So seeing a therapist then for your marriage in that sense is not saying that you're going to necessarily resolve these conflicts. And some of them, a lot of them, you said two thirds almost cannot be resolved, but it's more a matter of maybe reframing or, or seeing them in a different light or maybe helping with the communication. That's what kind of therapy does for them. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So that's very good. Uh, reframing is important, right? So if I can actually see the conflict through your eyes, all of a sudden it makes sense to me that you would be upset because I can see it your way. Problem is we go through life thinking everybody sees the world the way we do. And I don't understand why you don't think we should turn left when I know turning right is the right thing to do. Uh, but if but if I can really see how you got to the conclusion that left is the correct direction, then we're not going to have as much conflict because I see there's at least a logic behind what happened and there's a pain, right? And so um, uh, that's the deal. And so learning to manage the conflict is critical. Ignoring the conflict leads to all kinds of problems. And I, I had a couple that I was working with a number of years ago and they both lived in the suburbs of Chicago. They both worked downtown and they rode the same train to work every day. One morning, the husband came in the kitchen to put his shoes on. The wife's backpack was on the chair. He took the backpack, put it on the floor, sat down, started putting his shoes on. The wife came in, saw her backpack on the floor and lost it. She got so angry that she wouldn't even ride the same train with him. I don't mean she wouldn't sit next to him. She took a later train. Well, and so... There's a saying in my business, the problem ain't the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So th what could it be? How could she get that angry over the backpack, right? Well, and that night they ended up in my office and we kind of, you know, deconstructed what happened. The problem is there had been a lot of little things like that he had done and she didn't address them. Sure. And so they built and they built and they built until one little thing like a backpack just unleash this volcano of anger. Mm -hmm. So we've got to deal with conflicts when they come up and deal with them in, in positive ways. And a professional therapist can help you do sure. that. Sure. That makes sense. Okay. So that's the first thing you're saying. If you're unable to solve conflicts, that's when you know you need a therapist. Let's move on to the second one that you mentioned. You're feeling increasingly emotionally distant. Yeah. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Sure. Absolutely. So I, think uh, our Lord gives us a really good insight into this. And there's a, a part of the, in the Gospels where I think it's the Pharisees came and asked our Lord if divorce was permissible. Mm -hmm. And he said no. And then they asked, well, then why did Moses allow the man to issue a decree of divorce and dismiss his wife? And our Lord says, well, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to do that. But from the beginning, it was not so. And then he goes on to talk about adultery and divorce and remarriage. That, that phrase that our Lord used is unbelievably insightful. I guess it shouldn't be because it comes from Jesus. So, of course, it's going to be the right insight. But hardness of hearts. Mm -hmm. And if you really, if you look about at it, Scripture, both Old and New Testament, have a lot of references to the damage that's done by a hardened heart. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, it's a theme that runs through both the Old and the New Testament. And what I've found is that the couples I've worked with who have not made it, who have gone on to divorce, one or both of them are suffering from hardness of the heart. And once that heart turns to stone, you can't, you can't fix it. And you can't breathe life into a rock. And so if you're beginning to feel emotionally distant, you need to get help before your heart hardens too much because it will reach a point of no return. And that's dangerous. So that's the first part of being emotionally distant. The second observation I would make is that most marriages that die, die very slow, imperceptible deaths. And I liken it to you know, a, a jet cruising at 30,000 feet. So on your wedding day, you're at 30,000 feet, you are cruising and everything is great. But over time, you lose a little altitude. You drop to 29,999. 998, 997, you don't pay attention to that because you're still way up there. But at some point, maybe you get to 20,000 feet and your ears pop, which says, "Uh uh-oh, something has changed. Uh, If you go back to reading your book, you're going to keep losing altitude. You need to get up, go to the cockpit, talk to the pilots, hey, what's going on? Why are we losing altitude, right? Well, that's what the marriage therapist can be. He can be the pilot in, in, in the plane. You can come in and say, wait a minute, we've lost altitude here. We need some help to get back to altitude, all right? Um, and it's a everything I think in, in life tends to work against a married couple. The jobs, careers, making the money, paying the bills, having children. Statistically, marital happiness goes down after the first child is born. Well, why would that be, right? This beautiful gift from God, this unbelievable creation. Well, because the child's now in charge. The child decides when you're going to sleep, when you're going to be awake, when you're going to eat, when you're going to shower. I mean, the child makes all these decisions and you're exhausted. And then money's going to be tighter, uh, you know, and so children get in the way, career and volunteer activities. We get involved in all these really good causes at church or social things or we're feeding the homeless and we're doing wonderful things. But all of which takes us away from our spouse. And that's dangerous. And so you've got to be very watchful about, you know, are we just slowly growing apart, right? Are we slowly growing emotionally distant? So that's the second thing. Third observation would be the, you know, the friendship has disappeared. I, I no longer look at you as my good friend. And, and you know, what are the hallmarks of a good friend? And I, I think, you know, one of which is I know a lot about my friend's world because mm-hmm. my friend shares a lot with me and I share a lot of my world with my friend. Sure. Sometimes when we're growing mostly distant, we're not taking time every day to develop the friendship. I don't share as much about my world with my spouse, nor does he or she with me. And then so the friendship starts to go away. And I almost every couple I work with, when they come in, I have them complete a questionnaire and they almost always check the box. that says there's no fun in our in our marriage anymore. OK. So if, if the fun has gone out, if you're, if the smiles and the laughter has gone out, that's a really good sign that you need to get some help, right? And, you know, laughter is a, laughter is a good sign of emotional and psychological health. It's a good sign of marital health. And, and if the laughter is gone, that's a big warning flag that, man, we're growing distance. That's the third thought. And my last thought, the fourth one on emotional distancing um, is, if life is kind of ground to a halt in, in, in the bedroom, mm-hmm. 
because this, this physical intimacy between husband and wife is part of God's creation. It's part of how God created us, complementary in that regard. The first commandment in the scriptures, Genesis 1, verse 18, be fruitful and multiply, right? And so God intended us to, to have a good and, and, and enjoyable and fruitful, fruitful life of physical intimacy. And if that's not happening, that says something is really wrong. And I, I look at life in the bedroom. And the analogy I use for that is the canary in the mine shaft. And if the canary dies, it doesn't mean you had a bad canary. It means something in the environment poisoned it. And so if the life of physical intimacy is really suffering, it doesn't mean there's something wrong in the bedroom. It means there's something wrong in the kitchen. We're not developing our friendship and our, okay. and our affection for each other in the kitchen and in the family room. And so the, uh, a marriage therapist can help you rekindle the friendship, the affection, and the appreciation, which are the hallmarks of long-term sustainable marriages. Sure. So I would say if there's problems there, good opportunity to, or a good reason to get help from a professional. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of going to a therapist, if you are experiencing this in kind of increasingly emotionally distant, um, how does therapy help with that specifically? Like, do you help them tune into their emotions a little bit more? Do you help them recognize this and the other? Yeah. So I guess the, the, the first thing we do is we work with the couple to identify what their pattern is. Mm, what's okay. the pattern of conflict? What's, what are the triggers? Mm-hmm. What are the behaviors that each of you are doing that are triggering the negative emotions in each other? Got it. And so now we start identifying the pattern. Uh, and then we start building emotional safety because by the time, if you're fighting a lot, you're not feeling really emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. And so we figure out what the pattern is. And then we start building emotional safety where I'm, I, I start again now feeling safe to be able to share with you my inner world, knowing you're not going to criticize me mm-hmm. or condemn me or, or, or mock me or make fun of me that you, you want to be receptive to my inner pain. Right. So we build that safety and then we start helping them learn how to communicate these things in emotionally safe ways. And then that, 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 then that brings the, the emotional closeness back into the marriage. And then the distancing isn't nearly as big a problem. Mm-hmm. This is reminding me of a previous episode of the podcast we did, episode three with Janet Quinlan. And in it, she's talking about kind of the three ways in which to make your house a bright and kind of cheerful home. But one of them is making sure the emotional environment is really good and how the emotional intimacy yeah. between the husband and wife really plays off then on the children as well and oh. it impacts them in, in very profound ways. And so I could see how having that struggle in your marriage is really important even for the children too, for you to kind of work with a therapist and get that right. Yeah. Hugely important. And we don't, we don't acknowledge how much children suffer when the marriage is not a good one. And when I, when I do my intake work with a new couple, I spend time talking about their family of origin and their parents' marriage, and what kind of marriage do their parents have, and how did your parents handle conflict, And because that's how I learned to do it. And usually I handle conflict the way my parents did, or the exact opposite. And the problem is nobody taught your parents how to handle conflict, so they probably did a poor job of it, and you've learned how to do a poor job of it as well. Sure. And 
so often when we when we look at the 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 poor interaction between the couple it had its beginnings in childhood and the pains they had in childhood the traumas they endured in childhood that didn't get solved didn't get fixed and so they carry them with the, these traumas these injuries they carry it with them into their current marriage and it has a negative effect on their ability to really do marriage well Sure. That makes sense. All right. Let's move on to number three. So you need a therapist if one, you're unable to solve conflicts. Two, there's this increasing emotional distance. And three, now you find yourself thinking more about the problems in the marriage than the joys in the marriage. So tell us about that. Yeah. So that, and, and Gottman talked about, he called it a negative sentiment override, where over time, I just look at you through more of a negative lens than a positive lens. And you think about the time before you were married, you're dating. It was all positive. You overlooked each other's defects very easily. But over time, it, it, you start overlooking the virtues and focus on the defects because those are what cause you the pain. And when you're in a negative place, even if your spouse does something positive, it can have a negative, you can have a negative reaction. So I use the example often of, you know, the husband who brings home flowers and if you're in a positive place in your marriage, the wife is going to hug him and kiss him and thank him and put a big smile on her face. If they're in a negative sentiment override, the wife might get angry for wasting money mm. or say, what did you do wrong? You must be in trouble. What, mm -hmm. what don't I know? Sure. Right. So the same exact act, bringing home flowers in a positive sentiment uh, marriage gets received really well and, and increases the love and affection. But in a marriage that's deteriorated into a negative sentiment override, it can even it can even result in harder feelings and more conflict and more distancing. Mm -hmm. So being uh, very much and, and, and a professional therapist can help you overcome the negative sentiment uh, orientation and develop positive ways and think about positive ways to look at your spouse. Mm -hmm. And because uh, sometimes we just can't get out of these things by ourselves. We're just trapped and we need a professional. So that's the the the. Uh, thinking more about your problems and the joys. And then the fourth one was if something big happens, sure. uh, it could be an affair. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be, you know, your spouse lost $20,000 at the casino, mm -hmm. you know, now generally most marriages don't have a really big thing that happens, but there's a pretty fair number of them that do. And in the realm of an affair, the real danger is, is, an emotional affair, more so than a physical affair. And what happens, especially now, since men and women work together uh, in offices and in their workplace, you know, and they've got the same boss and they're working on the same projects and they've got kind of the synergy that's going on at work. And maybe they're, you know, doing business lunches together or traveling out of town on business. And at some point, their conversations become a little more personal than just strictly business. They start opening up a little bit more of their heart, of their inner world to each other, and they start to develop a bit of an emotional connection. And that can lead to sometimes it drops over the edge and becomes a physical affair. Oftentimes it doesn't. But for the spouse, you know, who's left out of this, they feel unbelievably betrayed because you've now given part of your heart to another person. And John Paul II talked a lot about the total gift of self, but now I've taken part of the gift that you are entitled to, my all of my heart, I've given a piece of it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And 
listen, this, this fidelity, this exclusivity of marriage, one man, one woman, total gift of self, is so important that there are actually two commandments that deal with it, six and nine. Right. Six deals with no physical affairs, no adultery. But nine says, don't even look. And our Lord was very clear when he said, listen, if you look at a, at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her in her heart. So we have two commandments that says, keep everyone of the opposite sex at arm's length. Do not open your heart, even the tiniest little crack to another person of the opposite sex, because it can lead to real disaster. And then the devil can grab that and use that and exploit that and, and explode that. And okay. it can cause an awful lot of pain and disharmony in the marriage. Okay. And I, I think, especially if there's something big that happened, getting help is quickly is, is very important. And I use the analogy of, you know, if you cut your, your arm, there's a difference between a cut that needs a Band-Aid and one that needs stitches. And if you need stitches, you could, in fact, go get a needle and thread and try to stitch up your, your, your wound by yourself. You could probably do it, but it would leave a pretty ugly scar, you know, and it might still get infected and it still might end up badly. So you need to know the difference between, I can put a band on this and heal it myself, or I need to go see a professional. Generally, if there's something big that happens, a big traumatic event, you, you really need to get to a professional. Mm-hmm. That... Um, brings to mind something that I hear often with the idea of can't we just work on it together? Can't we just decide to work on it together and just deal with it ourselves? Or can't we just pray the situation away, right? Like yeah. if my faith in God is bigger, if I dedicate more of my prayer life to yeah. my marriage, maybe that will fix it. And do you think that that is the case or? Well, I think, you know what, prayer, abandonment to divine providence, these things are really, really critical. All right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think it was Augustine who said, listen, pray as though everything depends on God, work as though everything depends on you. Right. Yep. So, yes, pray for healing, pray together for healing, say the rosary together, make visits to the blood sacrament together. Absolutely. Yes. Indispensable for, for success. But get professional help as well. OK. Mm -hmm. You know, and the way I talk about it is, listen, if the couple could have fixed it, they would have. Right. Right. If you could have fixed it, you'd be happy now. You wouldn't have perpetual mm -hmm. conflict. You wouldn't have ongoing emotional distancing. You wouldn't have a negative sentiment override. You know, if you could have fixed it, you would have. And when you get to the point that says, well, I just, you know what? I, I, I can't, um, we can't fix it. Go, sure. go get some help. Mm -hmm. Go get somebody who can help you. Go see a doctor who can actually stitch up the wound. Sure. And so you don't have much of a scar left. Yeah. So tell us, what do you see then is the value of going besides yeah. like, okay, we're going to fix these conflicts, but like the bigger picture of that, what, what do you see? Yeah. So I, I think I, I, three thoughts on, on that. First is there is great science out there now on what it makes, uh, on what makes for good marriages mm -hmm. and what actually harms marriages. And yeah. primarily John Gottman has done some phenomenal research for the last almost 40 years, I think. And there's, he's got great research and he really knows he's really discovered scientifically. What are those things that are highly predictive of disharmony and divorce and what are those things that are highly predictive of, of, of a happy and a fulfilling marriage? So there's great science out there. And then the um, International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy, Emotionally Focused Therapists, a lot of good research on their approach and how their approach is very good also at helping to heal 
uh, uh, marriages. Okay. And there are very specific behaviors that have been identified that cause disharmony in marriage and very specific behaviors that have been identified that, that, that contribute to sustainable and happy marriages. And they're not, it's not complicated. Uh, you don't need a PhD. You don't need to be a Rhodes Scholar. Anybody can, can, can learn what it takes to build a happy marriage and what it takes to avoid disharmony. Okay. And I think, you know, what's the value of studying anything? Well, I think you learn how to do it well. Right. And so, so marriage has been studied scientifically and we now know how to do it well. And so I think that's the first value is you'll, as your knowledge increases, your ability to actually be well married, be happily married increases. I think the other thing I think is the other, I look at, don't look at it in terms of therapy. I'd like to couch myself as a, as a coach more than a therapist because everybody needs a coach. Sure. You know, every athlete has a coach, you know, and, and most business leaders have a business coach, an executive coach to help them. Uh, coaches help you to correct your bad habits and help you to, to create good habits and positive mm-hmm. habits. And, you know, let's, let's say you decided you want to learn how to play the piano. Right? You could go online. You could do an Internet search for piano lessons and you could do that. Or you could go buy a book on how to play. Like, I don't know, there's probably a piano for dummies book out there somewhere, right? So you can go buy a book that'll take you through it, or you can go hire a piano teacher. Well, I think the odds of learning how to play the piano well greatly increase if you hire a piano teacher than if you try to read a book or do something online. I think it's with marriage too. I How much training does the average couple get in how to do marriage well? Almost zero, you know, very, very little. You spend four years to get a college degree. And what do you, you know, you spend a day or two maybe in a, in a marriage prep thing mm-hmm. through the parish, your diocese, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Not enough training for such an important thing. I find and this so, really, I yeah. find this interesting to consider the, the coach idea, because I think there's a certain stigma around having to see a marriage therapist. Like, yeah. ooh, there's something like irreparably broken or damaged yeah. with you. Whereas if you think of an executive getting an executive coach, you're like, wow, what a good, what a good guy, what a good girl. Like, they're trying to become better in their profession. They're trying to become a better executive. And it they're seen as two very different things, but really it's the same idea. You need someone to help guide you and kind of move you forward so that you can improve yeah. and continue to grow and kind of strengthen in these, these areas. Exactly right. Exactly right. And yeah, and which, which, which brings me to my third point. It's never too early to go. Okay. It's never too early to get help. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were a golfer and you're a 12 handicap and you want to become a single digit handicap, well, you've, you, you're as good as you're going to get without some help. Well, let's, 10's not bad or 12's not a bad handicap, a lot better than mine. But, <laughs> you know, but if you get professional help, you could become a single digit handicap, right? And the, the sad fact is that from the time a couple realizes they need help to the time they really actually get help. Mm-hmm. is about six years. And that's oh, wow. almost always too late because by then we've got some real hardening of the heart that's occurred and it's pretty hard to fix it. So wow. the sooner you go, the better. And, you know, again, I like to use, you know, some scientific examples or physical analogies and, you know, early detection of cancer gives you a much better chance of, of a cure than if you wait till you're stage four. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I have, I have a number of couples that come to me and say, you know what, Doug, we're really doing good, but we'd really like to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd like to have a world-class marriage, not just a good one. 
And can you help us take our marriage from an eight to a nine? Mm -hmm. You know, because we'd like to be a nine or a nine and a half. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be happy to help you with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when I first started doing this work, I was surprised by the number of couples that I would work with who had been married, you know, a year or less. Mm -hmm. And my first reaction was, wow, how can it go so bad so fast in a year? Mm -hmm. But what I found was that those couples were able to make the adjustments they needed to make very quickly because mm-hmm. they didn't have years or decades of bad habits to undo. And they got help early and they were able to make the changes. And they went on and did, did very, very well. So I think you don't have to wait till you're thinking about divorce to get help. Get get a tune-up. Mm-hmm. You know, your car needs a tune-up. Your lawnmower needs a tune-up. Uh, get a marriage tune-up with a, with a professional. Sure. And take your marriage from wherever it is and make it better because yeah. you can all get better. I love that. Um, all right. Last question before I let you go. I think there's a, a big concern in like, okay, great. You've convinced us we need, we need a therapist or we need to see someone, whether it's for a tune up or cause there's, you know, bigger conflicts that need to be resolved or, or worked through, but how do I find a good therapist? Cause there's yeah. a lot of people out there that I do not want to entrust my marriage to. Good question. Good question. So a couple of thoughts. I mean, here's the dirty little secret in, in my profession is that literally 50% of the therapeutic effect, 50% of the benefit you get in therapy, whether it's marriage therapy, individual therapy, is based on how well you actually like the therapist. If you connect with the therapist and you like the therapist, you've got a much better chance of success than if you don't like the therapist. So first, you know, so if you go find a therapist and after the first session or two, you don't like them, drop them like a hot potato, move on to to the next one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't think like you got to go for six months. If you don't like them, move on. Rule number one. Okay. So I think the first place I would look is catholictherapist.com. And um, catholictherapist.com, and it's, it's A, it's only Catholic therapist. B, it's a subscription thing. So you've got to actually join there and pay a, a yearly fee to be there. And so most people don't go there unless they're pretty serious about their faith. There's a check and balance system. You need two letters of reference from a priest. And uh, so generally the, 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 the therapists that are listed on catholictherapist.com are real solid, good, faith-filled practicing Catholics. Sorry, and there's, to clarify, you're saying that the therapists have to pay to be listed on there, not the people who are seeking a therapist. Correct. That's correct. Correct. You have to pay. The therapist does. Okay. Um, and then uh, therapists are licensed by the state. And so, for instance, I can only practice in the state of Illinois because uh, the state of Illinois holds my license. Uh, but then on the catholictherapist.com website, you can search by state. And then you go on the list of all the Catholic therapists who are on the site comes up. You can go through there, find somebody you like, contact them and see if you can schedule an appointment. Uh, especially now with COVID, the one thing that's happened is teletherapy has become pretty much a norm in my business. It's so you don't have to find a therapist who is, you know, within a half hour of your house. You can find someone anywhere in the state. And uh, if you're comfortable doing teletherapy, and I, I really believe teletherapy with couples is about 98 as effective as in person. It, it is really highly, highly effective. So um, you can find anybody in the state in which you live. So that's first thing. Second thing, in terms of credentials, I would look for um, certainly someone who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. So they will have the initials LMFT behind their name, uh, which means they've actually have a master's degree that focuses on marital therapy. Third thing is, uh, third and fourth thing, I would highly recommend Find someone who has been schooled in the Gottman method 
or in uh, emotionally focused therapy. Those are the two protocols for marriage therapy, which are highly, highly substantiated by scientific research to be effective. And so you can go to Gottman.com, G-O-T-T-M-A-N.com. And again, they have a find a therapist button. You put your zip code in there or whatever, and off you go. And then for emotionally focused therapy, their website is I-C-E-E-F-T, International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy.com. And again, they have a find a therapist button too. Okay. okay. So if you can find somebody on CatholicTherapist.com who's an LMFT, who's Gottman and ICEFT certified, that's the holy grail. You've hit it. You've hit the <laughs> trifecta. We, we'll, we'll link to all of that in the show notes so that Great. you can find those websites and those resources for sure. Um, great. This was an excellent conversation, Doug. Do you have anything else you want to impart? Any other wisdom you want to give before we sign off today? Um, I would say, I would say, I guess maybe two things. A, marriage is a sacrament. There is an abundance of sacramental grace available to help you with your marriage. And when I start working with couples, I always, at, at the end of the first session, I always suggest they both go and make a really good confession. Not that, not that they necessarily need it, I don't know that, but I do know that we want to make sure there's nothing standing in the way of the Holy Spirit being able to come down and help you heal your marriage. And a good confession makes that possible. So, um, and I have couples come back to me and say, you know, Doug, we did what you said, went to confession. We're really getting along pretty well now. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know, great. Yeah. Well, you got all the grace, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is don't, don't wait. Don't, don't hesitate. There's no embarrassment in it. In fact, it's a really prudent thing to do. There's so much that's going against marriage these days. Satan, man, has, you know, this crosshairs on every happily married couple. Um, and he's a pretty formidable opponent. So let's get all the help we can to not let him get in our side our marriages and ruin them. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right. Thank you so much for today's conversation, Doug. This was excellent. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it with family and friends and visit us at the website ferrisloveshrine.org to learn more about our project.